This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. I'm Aaron Miller, I'm a travel writer, and this episode, we are going to the Indian Himalayas to walk in the footsteps of the Anwals. It's a trip I have wanted to do for years and years, and I cannot wait to get there. Are you ready? Yeah, me too. Let's go. The Anwals are the last remaining migrating or transhumans, as they call them, shepherds of the Indian Himalayas. And what they do is each spring, as the temperatures begin to get hotter, summer approaches and the grass begins to die out in the lower valleys, they gather together these huge flocks of sheep collected from all the individual different villages in the valleys. They gather them together into one big herd and they begin this migration, this trek up into the higher ground, into the foothills of the Himalayas. And then they just stay there. They camp with them all summer long, watching the sheep and protecting them for all the villages below. And they won't return again until autumn. And we are going to follow in that migration and we're going to do it in a really, really special way. We are going to be staying with them. We're going to be walking with them. We're going to be staying in their villages. We're going to be meeting their families and their communities. We're going to be learning about their unique way of life, a way of life that has remained pretty much unchanged for generations. And we're going to be passing through some of the most stunning scenery on the planet. It's a really inspirational story. It's an amazing adventure and we're going to be in good company for it. Juliet Ricks is an award-winning travel writer. She's a journalist and author. She's a broadcaster. Uh, she worked for the BBC for a number of years and she just has a lovely way with words. So sit back, get comfy in that armchair, close your eyes and dream because we are about to go walking in the footsteps of the animals. But first, and super quickly, I just want to say, if you are enjoying the show, please do me a big favor and recommend it to a fellow explorer, a fellow adventurer, or just someone that needs an escape. We are building a community of people that love the outdoors, that love travel and adventure, that love discovering new cultures and new ideas, and want to celebrate the amazingness of this planet by just jumping headfirst in. If that sounds like you, please connect with me on Facebook at Armchair Explorer Podcast uh, is the page and Instagram at Aaron M. Writer, double A-R-O-N-M Writer. Please also sign up to the newsletter at armchair-explorer.com. Every month I send out my recommendations for the best adventure travel trips coming out. I also put out my top five travel and adventure podcast episodes to listen to that month, which is uh, really cool. Not just my stuff, of course, but um, kind of curated lists of the stuff that I've been listening to uh, and really, really loved. Finally, I want to give a shout out to Village Ways. You're going to hear about them in this episode. They're an incredible company uh, who are working with the annuals to develop sustainable tourism in the region. Um, and that's the kind of tourism that I want to promote. It's, it benefits the destination and the people that live there as much as it benefits you, the traveler. 
But for now, let's put all of that just to one side because we have just arrived in India, in Delhi, one of the maddest, most crazy cities on the planet. And it's the start of our journey to the Himalayas, where the last of the annual shepherds are bringing their herds to higher ground. I'd never been to India. It's somewhere I'd wanted to go to for years and years. And to go and do it in a way that got me away from the tourist areas. I mean, it was great to see Delhi, don't get me wrong. And I did make sure I got a bit of time to do that. And I did make sure I got to the Taj Mahal. But to also be able to do something that got me beyond the tourist trail um, and to be traveling in a way that I knew was helpful to the people I was meeting rather than having a negative impact was a fantastic feeling. So I had set up a few things in advance, including a bike tour now, that might sound completely mad to anyone who knows anything about Delhi. That is completely mad. Now, I've not been to Delhi before, but I have been to India. I went backpacking around there in my 20s. It was an amazing trip. It's an amazing country. And I have been in a taxi in India. And without exaggerating that story, even just a little bit, it was one of the closest I've ever come to death in my entire life. Just picture a single lane road in the middle of night with three lanes of traffic overtaking each other on each side, headlights blaring, cows, tuk-tuks, motorcycles, horns everywhere. It's like the road equivalent of a bare-knuckle brawl, but with less manners. And that's what she's riding a bicycle into. So you get up really early and you go out and you get on these bikes in a little group and you go around the old town on bikes before most of the traffic gets going, although I have to say by the time you're coming back, it's fairly crowded. But frankly, there's so much traffic that it doesn't actually move that fast. And quite a lot of it is pedal power. They're quite used to pedal power. Um, so although you're in amongst everything from tuk-tuks to oxen, um, I actually felt less unsafe cycling in Delhi than I do in London. <laughs> and it is the most amazing place. And we went round the, the old markets um, and the old parts of, of, of Delhi. And it was just a fantastic way to see it. There's all sorts of fantastic positives about it. And you were also very aware of the negatives. I mean, at one point on the bike tour, we stopped the bikes and left them with a vendor that they knew down at the bottom of, uh, of a, an old building. And we walked up through this old building up onto its roof. And we could see there the way some of the migrant workers were living. You know, they were sort of living in under canvas on the top of these of these roofs. And that was very instructive for me when I then went out to the villages and understood that what Village Ways is doing is allowing some of these people to stay in their villages and not to become those people on those rooftops. OK, so this is important. So it's estimated that India has upwards of 100 million migrant workers that leave rural areas seeking jobs and employment in the city. But what they're confronted with when they get there, more often than not, is extreme poverty, poor pay and brutal working conditions with no chance of any kind of escape or upward mobility out of that poverty. And on the other side, there's a cost too, because when young people in rural villages like where the animals live and where we're about to go, when they leave, those villages very quickly start to suffer. Without the next generation to carry on that traditional way of life... Uh, there's very little hope for that village to survive. The problem is there's no incentive for young people to stay. There's no jobs. There's no future. 
And so they end up on those roofs and they end up in those makeshift shelters and they end up in that extreme poverty and brutal working conditions, just trying to find a way to support their families and themselves. They end up stuck and the villages end up stuck too. And that's where Village Ways comes in. So it all started because the local little villages were being depopulated, basically. There was no way to earn a living. And so the young were all leaving and going to the cities uh, and the villages were dying. Um, And in the end, they decided that perhaps what they could do was try to bring in small numbers of interested tourists and get the villages to create a little guest house in each village that the village would run. And then they could take people from village to village. They are their guest houses, they create them. So the benefit is there, but it's there for everybody and it's there in a way that doesn't change the interaction. That's crucial because there are places in the world, far too many in fact, where where tourism has changed the culture, it's overwhelmed it. Here it's different. The whole village owns the guest house and they all benefit from it. Village Ways helps them get it set up and running and brings tourists to them but it's their business. It's the village's business. And the scale is so small and so sensitively done that it doesn't overwhelm them. It doesn't intrinsically change their way of life. It just makes that way of life possible. It's not charity. It's empowerment. So she leaves Delhi the next day, gets on the train, which is no easy thing, by the way. Navigating uh, Indian train stations, I know from experience, is perhaps the most confusing and illogical thing in the world. Um, But she manages it just and then heads about 200 miles northeast into the state of Uttarakhand, the land of the gods, as they call it. So I arrived at Katgodam and uh, got off the train and got out, got in the car and, and off we went winding up the hill um, through gorgeous little villages, uh, past lakes, and the roads just got steadily narrower and steadily rougher and steadily higher until we stopped. I mean, some hours later, um, we stopped and that was the end of the road. The end of the road. Is there any phrase more enticing than that. This is as far as the modern world has reached. And actually, although the village of Supi, where they're going, is only a few hundred metres from the road now, that's a new thing. Up until recently, it was tens of miles away. This is truly the edge of the modern world. But although it may be the end of the road, it's just the beginning of the adventure. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. 
Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. And we wandered up this little path and into the village. And the village is beautiful. I mean, you think of Delhi as colorful, and it is. It's incredibly bright and colorful. But this place is too. The light is amazing. The colours are just so deep. Everything is, what's green is really green. And there are loads of different greens. And the buildings are beautiful. They, they carve around the doorways and the windows. Uh, and a lot of them are, are painted with, with blue on the carvings and white walls. And it, it's just incredibly beautiful. In the traditional houses there, and as you walk around Supi, you see this, um, the ground floor is for the animals. So you'll see um, animal feed and, and hay and stuff, grasses in underneath in the, at the ground floor level and oxen sort of peering out at you and, uh, and shuffling about down there. Um, and then the first floor is the people. And so you see them looking out of the windows and chatting to friends and family. And the terrace out the front is a sort of shared space for people and animals. And it's also where, where people gather if neighbours come round. So you sit out there and have a chai. And I did that with, with some of the people in, in Supi. Um, so the guest house works in a similar way, except that you don't have the animals in the bottom. Um, and but we do have did have a kitchen in the bottom, which of course would also have been the case in traditional houses. The kitchen is is usually um, in, on the lower floor, and there some of the local people would come and make meals for the visitors. And the food for me, the food was fantastic. I mean, it was proper local Indian completely vegetarian, fantastic food. I mean, I loved it. You'd think after a couple of weeks of eating sort of dal and, um, and dal and vegetable curries and dal and wonderful um, paneer, you might be ready for something else. But to be honest, I got home and just wanted more of it. And also down just below the guest house in Supi, um, when I was sitting out on the terrace, there were a couple of women who were just down in the field below who were um, threshing the, the crop. It was harvest time and they were cutting the crop all by hand, I mean with a scythe. And um, they sort of waved at me and I, I went down and they let me try the, the cutting. I was pretty useless, frankly, um, but, they, but they attached the, 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 one of their belts around my waist and handed me one of these um, knives and got me got me harvesting a little bit of the <laughs> the crop and that was lovely just to understand a little bit about what they do and they're I mean they're incredibly beautiful as well they have these extraordinary highly colorful costumes that they still wear it's what it's what they wear all the time these beautiful salwa kameez and really uh, really colorful headdresses and uh, 
and clothes. I just have this amazing picture of arriving in this bright, colorful village of tiny stone and clay houses, whitewashed and carved wooden doorways and windows and terraced fields of wheat and barley and cows and buffaloes wandering past and bright saris and kids running around. And surrounding it all are just these incredible high mountains. It must feel like arriving in one of the most magical places in the world. But Juliet had an even bigger treat for her in store. I first met the Anwal above Supi. So my guides and I clambered up through, and I think it's probably a waterfall in the summer, but we clambered up this sort of green bouldery slope and eventually came to where the Anwal were. Uh, particularly the lead Anwal was up there and there was a, um, a herd gathering to start the, the main migration up to the glacier. It's about four days trek from most of the villages up to the glacier. The region I was in, most of them meet at the Pindari Glacier. And they gather up there and they start by um, giving offerings to uh, the goddess Nandi. And they then spend several months up there with the animals feeding on the good grass. For a couple of months of that, they're pretty much completely cut off because the monsoons come and that swells the rivers and then they can't cross. So they're pretty much stuck up there and they basically just look after the sheep. And that was amazing as the first meeting with them. Um, and he was incredible. He, he wasn't that great at talking to people, actually, but wow, he could talk to the sheep. He would just make these extraordinary sounds and they would react. He could make them follow him anywhere. He could make them do whatever he wanted. And they replied to him. It was an amazing thing to watch and listen to. Okay, so quick, crazy interjection here. Um, in the UK, those of you that come from there like me might remember this. We used to have a TV show in the 80s called One Man and His Dog. And it was just inexplicably popular. It ran for days and days, nonstop. And it was basically just farmers herding sheep as a competitive sport. Uh, yes, for real. Only in England could you get away with that. But it was strangely mesmerizing. It was like meditation or something. I, I remember just watching it for hours. You would just get stuck. Anyway, I, I looked it up and it's still going as like a one-off special now and again. I think we should sponsor an annual to come down and take on the British farmers in a one-man-and-his-dog international challenge. I think they'll wipe the slate clean of the Brits. But anyway, back to the story. Um, as Juliet's coming back down to the village, something totally unexpected and amazing and lucky happens. As we came down from that, we actually came down along these silvery steps. They'd been cut from rock that had mica in it and they just sparkled with the silver in the sun. It, it was absolutely beautiful. And we came down that way. And as we were coming down, there was the sound of drumming and music and there was a wedding going on in the village and it was it was incredible i mean the color and the sound and the whole village was gathered around one particular house that was covered in flags and bunting um and i was sort of pushed to the front to watch what was going on and people with uh, women with this fabulous uh golden jewelry um and the 
the bride and groom beautifully dressed and this saffron turbaned priest who was running the whole proceeding and they were doing all sorts of rituals and walking seven times around this little fire and Later on, we saw them partying and drinking in a different house because they go from from one relative's house to another. Um, And then there was a a bit of dancing. Um, And then we saw them going off and the bridegroom on a white horse, which is the traditional thing, and the bride carried in a pink sedan chair. Um, just, Just a remarkable thing to be involved in. So lucky and so amazing and colourful. Juliet has some great pictures of this, by the way, that I'll put on the website and share on social media, which I, I think you'll love. And also just so fascinating to see something like that in a totally authentic and real way. This isn't dressed up for tourists. This isn't some show. Uh, this is the real deal. So after the wedding, the next day, it was time to move on to the next village which is called Kaljuni. And of course, there's no road, so the only way to get there is on foot, which is lucky because it's some of the best hiking you'll ever do. We started down through the fields out of Supi, um, past a couple of other smaller villages with little temples, um, and through and then up to the next next village. And then we stopped at one of my guides. I had two guides, Deepak Joshi, who uh, lives in Binsar, and uh, Tara Singh, who actually lives in Supi. So they're both very much local people. And we stopped at Tara's mother-in-law's house for a chai. And there was a wonderful temple up there. And we went and sat right on the top with this extraordinary view down along the Sariu Valley. There we could see right down the valley, there were peaks. You were high up. You really felt as though you were looking along the Sario Valley and looking down back to where we'd come from. And you could see little temples on some of the peaks because they, they like to put temples on the top of things. And then we came into Kaljuni, which is a much smaller village than Supi and much further from the road. Um, and that village, we were the, the guest house is much smaller and it's on the, quote, main street. And the main street was a sort of manure-covered mud track between these traditional houses. And just across the way, there was a tap. And there was a woman sitting there in all her her colourful costume um, doing the washing up. And she had a whole load of these sort of tin um, metal dishes that she was washing. But she wasn't using detergent. Uh, She was washing them in the traditional way with ash. And so it was all black and it was it was fascinating to watch, completely different, you know, no soap, nothing that was going to do the environment any damage, of course. It's the little things, isn't it? Sharing chai with Tara's mother-in-law, watching the world go by. Oftentimes we, we think about the big things we're going to do on a trip, the highlights, the famous sites. But more often than not, the things that really touch us and stay with us are the little things, the everyday things. A simple gesture, a smile, a shared meal, a drink, a hand patted on the back, a new friend. Just a moment of stillness when you're truly present and take in where you are and how lucky you are to be there, how lucky you are to be alive. And that is what really matters. And that's also what I love about this trip too. You're not special here. You're just a part of the village. The highlight is the everyday. From Kaljuni, we then went up um, 
out of the village and up to an Anwell camp quite high above the village. And that was the one night I spent, as it were, wild camping. I mean, when I say wild camping, uh, some of the people from Supi had come across bringing tents and things which they set up for us. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly a hardship. Um, but they had they had set up little tents just above the Anwell camp. So the Anwell camp has some uh, brick walls that helps them contain the herd when they need to. And they sleep in these sort of lean-tos, um, the people do, and their dogs often. And so there was a little Anwell camp there and we camped next to it. There was a campfire there. They cooked for me on an open fire. Um, so I had supper sitting in the pitch dark uh, around this little campfire that they've made for me looking at the the golden eyes of the of their dogs which shine in the uh, in the light of the fire it was quite astonishing to watch that around you um and overnight i woke up to this real ruckus i mean the dogs have bells around their necks so i could hear these bells going and the dogs barking and very close to my tent I was thinking, oh, what's going on here? And then there was foot, heavy footfall and men's voices. I thought, I, I think I'll stay put. Um, and then it all calmed down and went quiet again. And in the morning, I woke up to cuckoos and the sound of a woodpecker pecking at a tree. And quite peaceful. Um, and I came out and I asked them, you know, what, what was that all about? Oh, they said, complete matter of fact, oh, there was a leopard. It's okay, no harm done. The dogs saw it off. Okay, I've heard of wild camping, of course, I love it. But camping with leopards, that may be a little too wild for me. But even though she just missed seeing the leopard, which actually would have been very cool. And and by the way, how hard are those sheepdogs, by the way? There's no way my little miniature schnauzer would be out chasing a leopard around in the middle of the night. He would just be cowering in the sleeping bag with me. Um... So she missed the leopard, but she did meet someone there who was very, very special. The other wonderful thing that happened at that camp was that I met another of the Anwal, whose name was Man Singh, and he was wonderful. And he turned out to have been an Anwal since the 1960s, and he was marvellous. He had these incredible intelligent eyes, and he, he was just on everything, and he just clearly knew so much and was interested in everything and so I asked him about his life and he said oh he'd gone to primary school and he'd been he said I, I was a good student um, and in fact he had actually got to his fifth grade two years early he was really bright as a kid but his family couldn't afford for him to go to secondary school because the nearest secondary school was 40 kilometers away and there was no road so that meant that the only way to go to secondary school was to live in the town. And that's expensive. But he couldn't do it. So his education ended at the end of primary, which was two years earlier than it should have been. So he was really young when he stopped going to school. So he became an Anwal. And I said to him, you know, do you, do you resent that or regret that? And he said, no. He said, I would have liked to continue at school because I was good at it and I enjoyed it but but actually being an Anwal is really good it's really peaceful it's relaxing I watch the sheep I watch the birds and he knew his birds 
Um, my guide had a, had a bird book, one of the Oxford bird books for the area, and we started flicking through it. I said to him, you know, what's your favorite bird? And he stole the Monal pheasant, which is a fabulously colorful bird that you get in this, in this area. And we did see it. Um, and he, also, as we were flicking through, there was one called the Himalayan quail, which said next to it, um, presumed extinct. And my guide said, well, I've seen it, and so's he. And the Amwal nodded, and they both agreed that they'd seen it up, up higher up where the Amwals go. So he was remarkable. And he was actually quite happy being an Anwal, which was lovely. It's interesting, isn't it? We can get so caught up with our sense of purpose being linked to career and status and society and how they judge us. But here's a man who's clearly intelligent, exceptionally intelligent, and yet he's not dissatisfied with the so-called simple life um, he's been given. He's grateful for it, grateful for the peacefulness of it. The very thing that we might call simple as a derogatory term is a positive to him. He's living his life in peace at a pace that's in tune with the natural world around him. It's not an easy life, but it's a life that he's grateful for and it's a life that is well lived. And I think there is something that we can all learn from that. And then the next day, I actually walked with the Anwal as they went to take the flock to higher ground. Man Singh wasn't actually going that day, but his son was and a couple of others. So we went with them. And I mean, I have to say that was huge fun. I mean, people say sheep have no character, not this lot. They were great. They were all over the place. They were chatting and munching and curious, wanting to know this, who this weird extra person was who was walking with them. And the goats even more so. And the goats are hilarious. I mean, if they can climb something, they do. And they would jump up on any kind of rock. Um, and then sort of leap off with these extraordinary sort of flying leaps. I mean, they were just huge fun to watch. And so we walked with them. Um, And actually, I forgot about the thinness of the air while I was walking with them (laughs) because we were sort of zigzagging and just enjoying being with them. And one of my guides, Tara, actually picked up one of the lambs and was, was, was just really clearly very fond of it and passed it to me and said, here, here, hold this. And he remembered that, he told me that when he was a child, he remembered his father having sheep and how he would play with them and how they would go off every summer with the Anwal. Um, And so we walked with them for for quite a while across the sort of side of of the mountain and looking down at the the valley. Um, And then they they sort of went off because the, the sheep were feeding and we carried on up and ended up Um, heading for the ridge between the Saryu and the Pindar valleys. Um, We were climbing up and we could see there was a little little sort of shrine with flags flying, a bit like you get in Tibet, same sort of thing. Um, And we were heading for that and climbing up. And suddenly we came across the top of the ridge. And I, I physically gasped because suddenly you had this incredible view of all these Himalayan peaks. And they were just right there. It was as if you could almost reach out and touch them. It was it was genuinely breathtaking. Wow, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, they say the best views are hard-earned, that you've got to work for them. And the harder you hike and climb, the better that view at the top. And, you know, that can be true for sure. But for me, the best views, I think, have depth to them, that 
um, a depth that goes beyond just what you see. Because when you immerse yourself in a place, in a culture, in a people, even for just a short time, that view becomes infused with those people, with their history, with their beliefs, their myths, their way of life. So that when you look upon those mountains, you see more than just jagged peaks and valleys springing with wildflowers. You see more than just beauty. You see the spirit of that people. You see what moves them. And for just an instant, it moves you in exactly the same way. You see it through their eyes. And that is something that you never forget. And then we wandered on up along the ridge um, through a rhododendron forest. And the rhododendrons are all in flower at that time of year. So you've got these beautiful red and purple and yellow flowers around you. Um, and you, uh, you go through, through the little bits of forest pass through the the bugial, the high pastures, they're the sort of open bits of pasture, which are what the Anwal are looking for, for the flocks to feed on, and then into a little bit more of the forest. And eventually we came out on a plateau, and up there, Village Ways build a little seasonal camp. It's the Jaikuni camp, and it really is like being at the top of the world. I mean, you don't have to be a mountaineer. I'm not even much of a walker. And here I was standing on top of the world in the middle of the Himalayas. My goodness, what a view. I mean, you just stand up there and look out. You've got Nanda Devi, the second highest peak in India. You've got peak after peak, snow-capped, just stunning and it's all just laid out around you. And I suddenly understood why this area is known to the Indians as Land of the Gods, why it's considered to be a sacred place, and why the Anwal can sit up there for months at a time watching their sheep without getting bored. Because the light changes the whole time. The clouds shift, the sun shifts, which peaks you can see changes, the colour of them changes. It's just constantly, gently shifting. It's incredibly meditative and staggeringly beautiful. That's incredible and just beautifully described. I think that must be one of the most breathtaking camps in the world. And you can get a sense, as Juliet says, about that peace that Man Singh talks about. Here, beyond the end of the road, beyond the grip of the modern world, the animals still live in perfect harmony with the seasons and the world around them. And they weren't quite finished with Juliet yet. When we were up at Jaikuni, um, the Anwal came through. So I'm sitting there with this fabulous view and suddenly I can hear the call of the Anwal and I realise that they're going to come through with the, with the herd and they actually come through the camp bringing the herd with them. Um, and it's lovely just to see it's our herd, you know. I, I feel I feel that I'm part of it now, <laughs> even though I haven't, haven't really known them that long. But they come through and we say hi, and on they go, and we watch them feeding as they go and, and wandering off, and I watch them into the distance, and that's the last I'm going to see of them. So I'm, I'm quite sorry to see them go, really. But I know that they're going off to the pastures that they need, and... That's, that's what's needed to keep the villages going. And that's what it's all about. 
choice, freedom, the ability to live their life the way they choose, even if, and maybe especially if, it doesn't fit into the modern world, even if it's beyond the end of the road. Thank you so much, Juliet. Thank you for taking us on this incredible adventure into the Himalayas and the footsteps of the animals. If you want to connect with Juliet, her Twitter is at Juliet Ricks, R-I-X-1, at Juliet Ricks 1. Please drop her a tweet and let her know what you think of this story. Um, also, check out, she has a children's book out, uh, which is called Travels with My Granny, which helps kids understand dementia through the journeys and adventures that this little girl takes with her grandmother. It's an amazing idea. It's a beautiful little book. Uh, I'll put links up for it in the show notes and website uh, if you want to check that out. Big shout out also again to Village Ways. If you're interested in doing this trip or any of their trips, all of which kind of follow that same uh, model, that community-based tourism model, um, then check out villageways.com or go to armchair-explorer.com where you can book this adventure directly or any of the other trips we talk about. Finally, thank you to you. It's always amazing to hang out and share these adventures together. Uh, a lot of you have written in to say how much these stories have inspired you, and that means the world to me. If you did enjoy this episode, please remember to leave a review. Tell a friend. We're building a community of people that love the outdoors, that want to celebrate it by exploring every inch of it. And when you spread the word, you help that community grow. And that's important because when we do that, when we open our hearts and our minds and become explorers of the world in big ways and in small ways too, we change who we are. We take in those cultures and they become a part of us. We grow. And when we do that, we change the world just a little bit too. Because the more that we look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who we are. Dare to be truly alive.